Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. This is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. And Juem Navarro Rivera. And today we are going to be talking about the aftermath of Charlottesville. And in order for us to have an accurate discussion about Charlottesville, I want us to go back to what actually took place over the course of that very long weekend. So what happened was... In Charlottesville, Virginia, there was a rally called the Unite the Right Rally. And this rally was organized by, among other people, some of the founders of the Daily Stormer, which is a neo-Nazi newspaper, and various other individuals, including members of the National Policy Institute, (laughs) the sort of think tank which is responsible for the brilliant mind that is Richard Spencer, among various other very unclassy individuals who now populate and lead the swamp that is the alt-right. And the specific course of events that happened was that this rally was organized. It occurred in Charlottesville, Virginia, over a statue of Robert E. Lee, which was originally in a place named Lee Park and is now in a place called Emancipation Park. And during the course of the protests, there was a car... that was driven by someone who came with the intentions of intending the protests on the side of the white supremacists and for reasons that are, as of this moment, not exactly clear, decided to run his car into protesters. There was one person who died. Her name is Heather Heyer. And over the course of this episode, we are going to talk about the rally itself, the statue that caused all of it, and Heather Heyer, along with President Trump's reaction to all of this. That's a very good summary. You know, one thing I want to say, and I've said this privately to friends, but I think we should stop calling it the Unite the Right, because in reality, I think it was more fitting to call it the Losers March, right? Because it was Nazis and Confederates. And so it's people who lost two wars, two pretty big wars, I guess, uh, so I'm not sure how, you know, if it was kind of like safe space for losers or, um, or some other way of calling it that doesn't actually, uh, gives them credit and Im- for their imagination in naming this thing. I feel like that's a very strong statement to make. And I agree with it. We absolutely should take away their power in this because, This rally wasn't planned so much as it was announced and then just attended by some of the most ghastly characters in politics. And in the aftermath of it, there were also reactions by some of the worst people inhabiting this country, especially some of the worst people inhabiting this country who are not behind bars. There are people who reacted to it like Andrew Anglin, the leader of the Daily Stormer, and David Duke. Who, both of whom celebrated President Donald Trump's initial statements, and I believe celebrated his second statements as well, which is one of the things that we're going to be going back to later. But in order for us to have a very, in order for us to have a chronological conversation about this, I want to briefly remind people about the statue. The statue was of Robert E. Lee and his horse Traveler. The statue was located in a park that was initially named after Robert E. Lee. Lee Park, which was renamed in 2016 
And over the course of 2016 and 2017, there was an intense conversation that was being had by leaders and government officials, as well as the people of Charlottesville, about the fate of the statue. People were not only realizing that the statue itself, at the very least, trivialized and enabled sort of alteration of history when it came to the Civil War, because it's weird that there was a statue of one of the leaders of the losing side of the war, but also that it trivialized the atrocious things that happened during the war, and quite possibly that it was time for the statue to be taken down. There were numerous votes. The votes which took place called for the statue to be removed, possibly sold somewhere or otherwise taken away from the, uh, from the park and for the park to be renamed. There was a, I believe it was a civil suit that took place where this decision was challenged on the basis of its constitutionality. And it seems like the white supremacists and the people who were challenging the, the decision were victorious, if I'm remembering this chronologically. It seems that they were victorious, or at the very least, they were capable of stalling the moving of the statue. And this took place, all of this started happening in 2017. A couple of months ago, there was a call for a rally, which was then the date was changed, although there was an earlier rally, which took place in Charlottesville, which didn't get as much news coverage. And the Unite the Right rally, which took place in August, was when everything sort of fell apart. And all of the recent tragic events that took place in Charlottesville took place then. Yes, I think one of the... Well, initially when I was reading the news, I I was had a little bit cognitive dissonance when I, when I read that the Robert E. Lee statue was in Emancipation Park. And I was like, wait a second, what the hell is going on in here? Then I read further and realized that this wasn't the original name of the park and that had been renamed with the purpose of eventually getting rid of Robert E. Lee. And then a lot of things made sense afterwards. But I think another another aspect of all the importance, the historical importance, not just of the monument, but is the location, right? If it's Charlottesville, Virginia, it's not just any town in Virginia. It's the location where the University of Virginia is located, right? The, the flagship uni, public university of the state. And one of the oldest public universities in the country. And the home of Thomas Jefferson. So Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's uh, mansion, is located there. So it's not just, you know, any town with any, you know, with one of the run-of-the-mill Robert E. Lee statues, but it's uh, it's a historical town, a college town, that happens to be the former residence of the third president of the United States, the framer of the Declaration of Independence, uh, one of the most notorious slave owners in the country, and also that it's a, a major, or a very important city in the state that was the capital of the Confederacy. So there's a lot of history in the background of this location. 
That's very important. It also directly relates to one of the topics that I wanted to touch upon, which was at the very least what some historians think should be done to these statues. There are people on all sides of this debate that's currently ongoing. It's actually been ongoing for a couple of years now. The idea that this debate was reheated because of the events in Charlottesville is only true for people who aren't and for people who don't have any real personal connection to these statues in any way, shape, or form. For historians to question as to how we should handle these statues and what, if anything, should be done with them has been going on for many years. I first started reading articles about the Confederate monuments as early as 2010, before I was even in college. As a historian, I myself think that it's not necessarily a bad idea to get rid of and just straight out destroy these statues, but I think that there are probably better things that we can do with them. One of the things that I think that we can do with them is we can move them from their current locations, which are often out in public. and a dumpster. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a possibility, but I actually think that it's better for us to move them to statues, not for the sake of preserving them, but so that one, we can prevent white supremacists from making this ridiculous claim where they're just like, oh no, if you remove these statues, if you throw them away, you're erasing our history. That's not true, even if the statues are destroyed, but if we're actually going to prevent the white supremacists from making these claims the best thing that we could do with these statues is probably take them from their present locations out in the public, move them to museums and actually contextualize them, study them, explain the circumstances under which they were built, which are very often in the early 1900s, somewhere between 1900 to 1925. And then in the 1950s to the 1960s, which as many other people, many historians who are taken far more seriously than I am, have noted are two of the main periods of Jim Crow segregation. That's not coincidental, and it's very important that we actually talk about this, and it's probably a little bit easier for us to talk about this with these statues existing, although we certainly could without them, because these statues are garbage and deserve to be thrown in the trash. But if we do, we are giving white supremacists narrative weapons which they can use to continue the myth of their persecution. Uh, you know, I sometimes, at I think at some point in the not so, in the very recent past, I would say, I would say like maybe four years, three years ago, I would have bought that argument uh, that we need to contextualize this. But considering that a pretty good place in which we could start contextualizing the history of the Confederacy in this country is in history books, and that certainly hasn't been a very good source of contextualizing this history, and you have a lot of places, particularly in the former Confederacy, where the states' rights narrative is what is actually taught, and we don't really, people don't really learn about what slavery was and, and that, that that was actually the cause of the war, that I'm not really sure that, you know, I don't really trust the people who are going to be doing the contextualizing. So I am actually now in the camp of, you know, 
lock them up. I mean, blow them up or get rid of them. The place of a Robert E. Lee statue is in a dumpster. I actually really agree with that. But one of the issues, in my opinion, with that analysis of this is the fact that if we remove these statues, not only do we play into the hands of white supremacists, we also <clears throat> remove a tool which we could use to immediately contextualize something that needs contextualization and trust the next generation, at least some of whom voted for President Trump and for various other history history altering demagogues. I don't trust some of the people who are going to be teaching at least some of the children in the future. I have seen multiple people that I know, at least a few of whom I used to respect, both as historians and as friends, come to the defense of these statues far more passionately than I am, because I know that what I'm saying sounds like a defense of statues. I wish that it was as easy as throwing the statues away. I wish that I believed that throwing these statues away would be an easy and effective move. I definitely think it'd be an easy one. My main concern is that we are trusting the future to people that I don't know if we should be trusting the future to, especially because those people are being taught by the people who are perpetuating the narratives that we're having to deal with right now. Precisely. So, I mean, the, 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 the issue is that the, the job of the past, and by I mean the job of educating in the past, about the past, hasn't been very good. And I don't think that's going to change much in the future. So to a large extent, I, th I, th I don't think of the statues in their historical context. Like I said, I don't really trust that the people who are going to do the contextualizing are gonna, actually going to do that right. I don't think it's going to change anything. Uh, moving them from one place to another. It's just going to be another place where people who are in these cult of the uh, lost cause are just going to go and continue to do their worshipping. Uh, I'd rather have... I'd rather see them like do their worshipping <laughs> going in a pilgrimage to a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> That would be really fun, like, you know, ha having, like, a, a landfill, like, full of Confederate flags. That would be actually very fitting. Uh, and, and so, one, I really appreciate this because I think this is our first major disagreement in this show. Uh, but also, yeah, like, my, as I told you, like, my thinking about this whole issue has changed in the last few years. Mostly, mostly because you know, I, I come from New England, like I spent many years in Connecticut, uh, where, like, interestingly, like, you know, there's not much civil war. It, it, it was the, in the winning side, and there's no, not much civil war history that you can find publicly. I mean, there's memorials and there's certain, like, you know, there's certain places, but it's not there's not these cults in the same way that, you know, the, the there's here down South, uh, you know, now being in DC. Uh, and so that, I think that has seeing 
seeing those two uh, ways in which the past is treated, I think if we're really going to contextualize that history of the Confederacy, we have to rescue the history of the Union, and we haven't done any of those well. In the United States, what we have seen is that the Confederacy has been romanticized, you know, in popular culture. Like, you have, like, a lot of stuff about, you know, former Confederates. You have, like, shows about Confederates. You have books about Confederates. Uh, Not much about the Union, even though, in theory, most people think it was the right side to win the war. Uh, and second, it was the freaking United States of America. And so the other way, the, the other thing is that, you know, these, these were traitors, right? Like if, if there, if there is one definition of treason, clear definition of treason is rising arms against the country. And the fact that, you know, Robert E. Lee was the one of the leading minds of that army i don't think it you know it 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 should be erased from history it should be erased in disgrace it even rhymes i i think that you made a really really good point just now that i have heard even among historians i've heard very few people make this point both from the north and from the south you talked about like you talked about the history of the union and the history of the north which needs to be reclaimed i completely agree and i think that one of the things that can be done is weirdly enough to make more statues not of the confederacy that's a really stupid idea but to make statues and monuments not only to abraham lincoln but to other leaders from the union it's ridiculous to me that in the South, and it's very telling, too, that in the South, all of these statues are so often of Confederate leaders. That makes it clear that this isn't about pride in, uh, this isn't about remembering your history. This is about glorifying, not necessarily people who were white supremacists, but the very least people who fought, died, and killed to protect the values of white supremacy. And it is really sad that I don't hear more people talking about this and considering using this as an alternative where instead of like where we get rid of these statues, remove them and replace them with something better or move them to museums and then put new statues on the places where they once were that actually commemorate, you know, the side that was objectively right in this war, not only because they won, but also because they didn't think that owning people was something worth fighting for. You know what? Now I'm thinking my, I'm changing my mind. Now I think you're right and we should need to contextualize it and we just need to commission a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of Ulysses Grant statues kicking Robert E. Lee in the butt. So when we, when we start our Patreon, we should have like a category for people who donate like a hundred dollars. like, We'll commission a statue in your name of this. I think that would be pretty awesome. Okay, so going back 
to Charlottesville, one of the most important conversations that people have been having, especially because by the time we upload this video, it'll have been about two or three weeks later, it'll most people will have finished having the most necessary conversations about Charlottesville. One of the most important conversations that people have been having, at least in my opinion, is about how President Donald Trump reacted to everything. Most notably, the idea that he decided to... He refused to explicitly condemn white supremacy in his initial reaction. Instead, he condemned violence, hate, and bigotry on many sides, in his own words, in the strongest possible terms, which was meaningless because in the strongest possible terms, you could just say, hey, don't do these things to specific individuals who are instigating it instead of just saying that everyone who did something was wrong, because I don't think that's true. I think if someone defended themselves, I don't think that's wrong. If someone confronted people who think that a certain group of people or certain groups of people should be wiped out or massively deported, I don't think that confronting those people is as wrong as, the, as those people coming out and saying that those are their views. It's ridiculous to equivocate the two, and it's almost offensive that that was his initial reaction, because it was. He reacted a few days later, where he actually did call out the supremacists and neo-Nazis, not explicitly by name, he didn't name any specific individuals, but he did say that he was condemning them as opposed to condemning every single person who was there and moved to defend themselves. Yep, profiles in Koresh. Donald J. Trump. <laughs> Truly a profile in tremendousness. <laughs> yeah, no, but... You see, this is... I mean, I think one of the good, you know, silver lining in this awful episode is the fact that finally people realize what a lot of people, particularly people of color, have been saying for years, that Donald Trump is a freaking racist. And so it's finally that it's finally refreshing that a lot of people who have been Defending him, saying that he's just incompetent. Just. Finally, yeah, like, you know, the, no, the guy's not racist, he's just incompetent. He just have finally come to terms that the guy is not incompetent only, he's also racist. And to some extent, um, I'm, I'm gonna plug another, another show, uh, that uh, I just listened uh, this week's episode of Point of Inquiry uh, with Paul Fidalgo, uh, who I really like, uh, and he's the new host. Uh, and so he interviewed uh, James Croft. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, James Croft is the outreach coordinator, I believe is his job title at the Ethical Society of St. Louis, an all-around great guy, and very active in the, you know, in, in, uh, very active at, to be redundant, activist in the St. Louis area. Uh, and one of the things that uh, James said that I agree with him, and I've said before also, it's that, you know, we dodge a bullet to some extent with Donald Trump because we have a person who is a demagogue, 
who is certainly a racist, who has a very dark personality and just be and the things are not worse in these first eight months or seven months or whatever time has passed already. I have already lost track of time because he is incompetent. I mean, we dodge a bullet in the sense that if he actually had an inch of competency, we'll be in a very, you know, in a darker place right now. I completely agree. And I think that his incompetence could be, I think that one of the perfect examples of his incompetence is that I believe he genuinely thought that his response, his initial response to Charlottesville was appropriate. And I, I don't know how popular of an opinion this is. I don't know how many other people believe this, but I think that he honestly thought that he crafted an appropriate response. And one of the reasons I think this was that when he was in Arizona and he was making his rally, one of the first things that he talked about was how beautiful his response is. I think he meant that. And I think it's a sign of his lack of intelligence, his lack of compassion, and also his lack of courage. But I think that he thought that what he was doing was making a perfect, a perfectly tailored and even-handed response to this. It wasn't a perfectly tailored and intelligent or an even-handed response to this, but I think that that was what he thought. And I completely agree. I haven't seen that episode myself, but I'll probably check it out when I'm done, when we're done recording. But I do think that what <coughs> he said, I do think that what James said, at least your analysis of it, is correct. I actually responded to a piece that James wrote because James also blogs on Patheos and he wrote a piece for the Temple of the Future where he talked about people weaponizing their cars. And I didn't realize this at the time of me writing it, but I think that what he was writing a response to was not Charlottesville, but actually an incident in St. Louis. Yes. Where, yeah, where a uh, protest in order to honor and commemorate the life of a trans woman who was murdered was hit by a car. He and I wrote two very different pieces about it. And I think that both of them talk about different aspects. I talked a lot about the laws, which is actually one of the things that I want to talk about today. Uh, in response to what happened in Charlottesville, or at least partially as a response to that, a North Carolina bill that would have protected drivers who convinced people that they accidentally hit protesters with their cars while taking every precaution possible to avoid hitting them was shut down today. And it was announced, not today, it was shut down about a week and a half ago. Where when it had actually already passed the House. It was in the Senate, and they decided to stop moving it forward, but they were going to talk about it before the events in Charlottesville, and that's not the only state where bills like this are being passed. I know that there was a bill in Florida. I know that there have been bills talking about similar topics in Missouri, in North Dakota, and a few other states. And it's terrifying to me that it took what happened in Charlottesville, where a protester hit a counter-protester with their car, hit multiple people, and killed one person in order for conversations about the possibility of protecting people who hit protesters with cars to be shut down. You know, it's... I'm actually going to relate a, a really creepy anecdote. Uh, but recently, we were in Baltimore. Uh, we love Baltimore. Uh, and when I say me, it's my family. 
uh, we is me and my family. Uh, and as we are walking uh, in the street, we see, or I see first, actually, this ginormous pickup truck, uh, which probably somebody who is definitely not from Baltimore because you don't need that big a truck in Baltimore. Um, and, you know, it had a bunch of, like, right-wing bumper stickers, including the standard fare, lock her up, uh, Confederate flag, uh, and, you know, the, the Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes pissing on some liberal thing. Uh, and, but one of them, like it was the, you know, I've seen a lot of bumper stickers in my life. The one that really shocked me and that my wife noticed that I was like, my jaw dropped was one about with a car cramming into a bunch of people, stick figures and saying, uh, your protest, your protest doesn't matter. And, you know, so yes, there's a lot of people, there's people out there who think that this is a funny thing. Uh, and it's really sad that this incident had to take place. So lawmakers could realize that, you know, the real lives are in danger. This is not just a game and uh, some sort of symbolic gesture that you just throw a wink at your constituents uh, that, you know, like, really human lives are at stake here. And it's really sad to the extent that, and I think I said this in in the previous episode that we recorded on, on family values, which is that, you know, for many conservatives, the peak of a value is when you're a fetus. Uh, and that's the only time that lives matter for them. And eventually, you know, you basically life is disposable uh, if you don't serve of any function or what conservative thinks society should work. And, it's a really sad state of affairs uh, in the country. I mean, I don't think it's nothing new, but certainly the new administration and the head of that administration had make a lot of people who had really dark thoughts and really antisocial behavior come out of the woodwork. So I, I'm going to, we're going to film an episode at a future point in time where we talk about this specific talking point of Trump and Trump supporters. But there is a reason, there's a reason why at least I can imagine that some people would support these sorts of bills. And it relates to a false story that started getting spread in February of this year, where it was said that anti-Trump protesters protesting cause an ambulance to have to perform an emergency maneuver, an emergency surgery on someone while that person was in the ambulance. This story is not true. It's been repeatedly debunked, but even as late as this week, I have seen it continuing to be spread. And I have a feeling that if Trump protesters were trying to rationalize their defense of 
these sorts of bills, it's the first thing they would share, thinking that it's true, when it's not. And it's very important that we actually talk about the talking points of Trump supporters and people who try to defend these sorts of actions or these sorts of bills. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time for today's episode, so we're not going to use this episode to talk about that, but we will be coming back to it. And now I would like to ask Joanne to share any final thoughts on this topic. Um, I mean, we've said a lot, but I think it is that uh, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And probably the date I'm most looking forward is January 2021. So I do have questions for today's listeners before we go ahead and leave. I would like to know what our listeners think should happen to uh, Confederate statues, not just, and also to Civil War statues. If there are statues celebrating this particular period in history where you think it's either inappropriate to do so or how the statues have been contextualized is wrong. We would love for you to tell us what you think should happen to those sorts of statues. We invite you to chat with us in any place where you see this podcast shared. And as always, I would like to personally invite you to review the podcast, to share it with your friends, and to let us know what you think of what we've talked about. This has been the Benito Juarez Experience, and this is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. And Juana Rivera. Until next time, friends. Thank you.